Welcome to ContenderCast, a leadership conversation centered on shining a light on bright ideas. And now here's your host, Justin Hahnemann. Welcome to the ContenderCast. This is Justin Hahnemann. Thanks for listening. Thanks for downloading. Thanks for tuning in. Our mission is simple, and that's to shine a light on bright ideas. And I am back with Vicki Cantrell. We're in New York City for NRF, the largest retail event of the year for those that are not in retail. And um, if you missed the last podcast, I would just suggest you uh, put this one on pause and go back and, and listen to part one. We covered some really great territory um, as it relates to life decisions, leadership decisions from a career perspective, um, and also culture decisions. Or, or, or building an amazing and structured culture. And we're going to pick up right there. So, uh, Vicki, we're talking on our last podcast about your role as a COO at Tory Birch and the culture there. And my first question to lead off today with, with you, Vicki, is what are the things you did to maintain the orange culture? Good question. Uh, culture was such an important part. And uh, as I mentioned before, uh, really does come from the top. Uh, and the appreciation of people and understanding that people are really what make your brand successful and keeping uh, that culture uh, important and vibrant and alive is is really critical to the to any business so um, and it changes you know when you go when you're having that kind of growth what you set out to do and what you have in place for protecting that culture once you add another 500 people that's going to change. Once you go from one floor of a building to three floors of a building, that's going to change. So you're always visiting it as any company should. How does the culture change? So it's interesting um, in my current role in analytics, one of the things we've been talking a lot about is how do we not only hire for the skill set, let's say, uh, the technical skill set or the experience in the industry, for example, retail or consumer products or whatnot, but that culture piece. And how do you in an interview process, how do you glean that from individuals? Did you find any best practices that you might want to share? Well, there's two aspects that I think are the most important. However you can get to those two aspects is where you're going to have success. And the two aspects are authenticity and transparency. This is kind of, for me, a cornerstone to culture, uh, especially when there's growth and you need to People are, you know, going to assume and start talking and, and make assumptions and you think everybody knows what's going on, but but you don't. Okay. So transparency is really uh, just something that we, we worked on at, at Tory and everywhere that I've been. It's really an important aspect and being authentic about what you are and what you represent so that people are naturally going to stand behind it. Sure. I love that. And the other thing, I picking up on your last episode, one of the things you mentioned was this whole idea of assuming the best in others. And I, I know we explored that on our last episode, but I don't know, it's just something that resonated with me because I don't think it's easy to do that necessarily, just given any, any sort of work environment or the challenges of a stressful environment or, or of growth. It seems like that would be something that you have to challenge your own staff to to do. All the time. And uh, one of the one of the aspects of that can help you in in that assuming the best. So when does that happen? Most of the time it happens, something you read, something you hear, right? Yeah. And you, you made an assumption and it came across wrong or something like that. So my advice always is stand up, okay? Either pick up the phone 
Okay. My rule is two emails and that's it. Okay. The back and forth. Right. If it goes Especially to, in the same office. Exactly. Right if it goes to the third, you have a different problem. Get up and figure it out. And, and, and that doesn't mean deal with a problem because it might not be a problem, but you get face to face with somebody or you get somebody on the phone and you talk. It's just so much easier to take down any barriers and figure out what the real issue is. And it's and it runs the gamut. It's either not an issue, okay, and just a misinterpretation or I was in a hurry or whatever, okay? Or there was an issue, but with the body language and everything and, and you really un, you can really listen to what the other person's challenge is. So honestly, stop at two emails. Pick up the phone, go see Resolve the person. It. No question. So, interestingly, looking at your career, and we talked at, on the last podcast again about some of the decisions you made around your career path and the swim lanes idea. I love that idea about not necessarily having to stay in your lane. After Tory Birch, I'd like for you to share with our audience, like, what was your move like over to NRF, um, and what drove that decision? And you know, how how do you make those types of career decisions? What what for you are the things you think about? How did I make that career decision is similar to how I've made other career decisions. Something, it, it catches me. I don't know how to explain it any other way than it's in front of me and I, and I have a burning desire to do it, okay? Meaning inside my inter internal compass says, I think I can make a difference here. And when you get that feeling it doesn't matter, okay? You're gonna have a ball and you're gonna do it. And that's the feeling I got at, at NRF. The opportunity came to me through a kind of a circuitous route. I certainly always knew uh, NRF. I was a member for through all of my retailers and sure. had a lot of friends at NRF and, and knew of them and I was always a member. And so when this opportunity came along uh, after Matt Shea got in place uh, and wanted to build this new role, so it was kind of a, you should talk to Vicki Cantrell. They talked to me. I kind of got interested. I went down and spoke to them by the end of the day. And, and honestly, I didn't really think I was going to be interested when I went down there. Right. And I really, it was kind of an exploratory thing. Then I was a little more interested than I thought I would be. And then I saw what the challenge was. One of the challenges was this the NRF and shop.org being a little bit too separate, but really both servicing the industry in an amazing way. So not, not all of our podcast listeners are retailers. So share um, a little bit about just a, a brief overview of shop.org and where that fits in National Retail Federation. And then also I'd love for you to talk about some of the things that you were a part of to really to ignite the growth there. That's a really good point. You always forget who. Uh, well, we're at a like, retail event, right, so never we speak assume, in acronyms. <laughs> right, we assume everyone knows the acronyms, but no, a lot of our listeners are not retailers. So NRF, the National Retail Federation, is a trade association that advocates on behalf of the entire retail industry. It sounds like you have that memorized. I do, and <laughs> nice. it's very true. Uh, Shop.org is what's called the digital division of NRF. And what that means is that anybody in retail that has anything to do with digital, whether it be e-commerce, digital marketing, et cetera, this is a group, this was an acquisition by NRF, which was a digital 
almost like a little digital trade association had been acquired. But it's been the real growth engine, right? I mean, the last couple of years has been incredible. Obviously, with the growth of social, mobile, all the e-commerce capabilities in retail, omni-channel, now blockchain. I mean, there's so many trends happening in digital. There, absolutely. But NRF has grown tremendously over the last five years, doubled doubled in in many ways, uh, increased attendance at the show, but doubled in budget, doubled in wow. headcount, doubled in. So really, um, it's been a phenomenal time to be part of that team uh, and, and that growth. And the digital, you know, it's interesting because digital used to be kind of pushed back in a corner. Right. And they relied on each other and partners and retailers, vendors and retailers together to build the in- internet, to build the shopping engine that became e-commerce. Uh, kind of uh, uh, almost as an, an, an aside, yes, you know, no budget, no nothing, figure it out kind of thing. And then it became the real driving engine of the retail industry. And so... Um, my purview at the National Retail Federation has been not only the digital division, but marketing and technology. I was able to take all my retail expertise and run all of these councils and groups that have to do with the customer journey. Interesting. So tell us more about that. This was an opportunity to have the National Retail Federation really be a resource for the retail industry in how should I be, how else can I be successful in my business? And so one of my goals uh, and the goal of this position was knowing that inside retail where everything is a silo, you have your CIO and your, your technology, you have your marketing, you have your planning, your merchandising, your store operations, your, you know, all of these are silos inside retail. But as time has gone on, these people can't make any decisions. You have a customer who wants one experience. So silos have to come down across the board. So I took down all the silos inside NRF between those groups, but also to mimic and be a beacon and a help for the retail industry who is having to do that inside their own organization. Exactly. So I was just going to say a lot of the retailers I work with still struggle with the silo mentality of you've got store ops focused on what's happening in the store and merchandising, really supporting largely store ops. And then you've got this e-commerce group that it, that used to be small and is now growing for some retailers like with over leaps and bounds, right? I mean, that's becoming the main channel for a lot of retailers now yes. to sell. Yes, but I don't like the fact that you use the word channel. That's a big no-no. Okay. Well, I know maybe that's just my my vernacular. Yes, but uh, you, you know, and think of our podcast listeners. Everybody's a customer, right? No doubt. And so many customers, unless you're embedded inside retail, don't know that there could be a completely different infrastructure that supports what they do in a store and no supports what they do on the web. But they might they not know that. Care. <laughs> they don't care they about don't the care, back office systems. should they care? That's should right. they ever even know? No. And so uh, making this experience without using all the, you know, buzzwords that we're all so sick of, but literally everybody being a customer and wanting what they want, when they want it, how they want it in a frictionless way is what's really critical. So if I think about that, that's how I did my job at NRF. That's how I want our members to be able to take advantage of our expertise and what we see looking across the whole retail ecosystem. Here's who... This one's doing it this way. We have pure plays, pure play meaning, of course, 
internet only. Sure. Okay, no brick and mortar stores. Yeah. And people that have stores and web and catalog and et cetera. And just bringing that whole thing together, helping each other out, help letting each other, letting the different retailers rely on each other to figure it out. So really, my observation is this role for you is a, a real a leveraging point for you for your buying experience, your technology experience, your operations experience within the retail industry, and then being able to work across retailers. That's a pretty cool opportunity. It was. It would, Honestly, I each thing that I've done, I can't believe it could have been any better. It was what I was ready for at the time without even in knowing it. And again, I hate to you know keep talking about the same thing, but when I say don't stay in your swim lane, okay, I have, for me to have the opportunity in NRF, like I did in many other companies, which was, what does success look like? We'll know it when we see it. Go do it, okay? Figure it out. Do what you want to do. I was so lucky to be able to have the support to be able to, this is what this should look like, and this is what I think is helping. So I, I love that topic or that that idea, and I'm going to reuse that, by the way. But um, a lot of our podcast listeners are actually more junior in their career. So they're up and coming leaders. They are maybe in their first or second role. They're they're they've got goals. They've got ideas on, on leadership. Um, you know, they're looking to make moves quickly to get to the next level, make an impact. When you talk about the swim lane idea though, how do you, what are the, th- what are the things you need to think about to enable you to, to make that move? So let's say you started in the supply chain or you, or you started in sales and marketing and you want to make a move into technology or vice versa. Like, what are the types of things you need to be thinking about as a, a maybe someone a couple of years out of college um, that's looking to make those types of moves? Great question. I would tell you that it isn't something you think about when you're looking to make a move. It's something you do every day. That is the difference. So, Let's let's unpack that okay. idea a little bit more. Okay. So, so daily. Yes. If if I'm John Smith listening to this, what what does that mean to John? Okay. So you go to work every day, and you can be one of a lot of different types of people. Okay. If you're if you have a learning mentality and you're interested in everything that's going on, and you're asking a lot of questions, that automatically helps you break out of your swim lane. No okay? question. So being engaged, being active, being involved in the day to day, not just doing the eight to five thing. Yeah, absolutely. Um, be interested. Be present. And and now I say, especially to people young in their career, be present. Okay. Go pay attention, be looking up when you're in meetings, listen to what's happening. Be present, get off your phone, get off. (laughs) (laughs) That's not easy for folks, right? It's not easy, but, but be present. And then you're going to hear and see and and understand other people's challenges and, and all the different parts of the business. And by the way, if you are in retail, that's very easy to do that. There is no such thing uh, as one little thing in retail. It's such a vast industry. You know, you sit in any meeting and you're going to hear about six different aspects of the of the business. Sure, no doubt. Well, and it's it's interesting. I've seen in my career it, those that are willing to go take the extra step. You mentioned earlier, I'll take the trash out if I need to because we're in startup mode or in growth mode. Um, those that are willing to raise their hand and take the notes in a meeting, those that are willing to go and, and work the extra hours to get things done, are the ones that differentiate themselves, right? And that's it. Seems so easy, but so many don't pursue that. Right. Um, one other thing that I will say about what 
you know, what to do when you're starting out or, or even past starting out. This thing that I like to call, and I took it from Terry Lundgren, who has a great story yep. about it. Macy's, former <laughs> Macy's CEO. Right, right. It's called Bloom Where You're Planted. And, and what that really means is, so a lot of young people today come into a job, they kind of get it figured out, and they want to do the next thing. Sure. That's a really... Uh, admirable quality and I'm and I'm not saying don't be that way okay but what I will say is if you do a good job where you are that is going to be a sure sign for you to be able to move up and around inside an organization and when I say that it's important because you no one no company is ever going to move a problem okay no matter what, we're not going to move a problem. And where you want to say, I want to do the next thing, I want to do the next thing, what's really important is, is when somebody else says, that person, okay, is doing such an amazing job at what, at they're, what they're doing, doing. Yes. I want to pull them along. So if you understand how important it is to do an amazing job at what you're doing and don't be impatient, it will be the thing that drives you faster than you demanding or asking or, or requesting your next move. That is great coaching. I would say not just to those that are a couple of years out of school, but those that get antsy or restless is the word I like to use. Um, and sometimes it's, it's hard because the expectation is the next thing, the next thing, the next thing. But sometimes the next thing is it becomes even easier when you really rock out um, your current role and what you're, what you're um, focused on today. So one more thing I wanted to cover before we go, you and I are leading a, a youth session tomorrow with an organization called Retail ROI. First, how about sharing just a little bit about Retail ROI and then how you got involved in your whole, your thoughts around balancing community and, and uh, work. Great. Um, the retail, retail ROI is the Retail Orphan Initiative, which helps uh, orphans and children at risk uh, worldwide. And we have been in existence for, gosh, we're in our eighth, ninth year. Uh, and it is uh, incredibly rewarding. It started with an idea where... You know, if we could only get the power of retail behind this thing, you know, make a difference. And, you know, it was such a almost a silly thing in the beginning, like if you could round up at the register kind of thing <laughs> sure, and have money absolutely. to help, help people. But, you know, look, without going into all the details and all the things we this amazing organization does, here's what I'd like to talk about, because it, it this is what makes a difference. You know, when you've when you've been at your career for a long time, you reach this point in your life where you want to give back. Okay. No question. Um, you know, you, you wonder, how do I do that? And do I give money and, and, and et cetera. And the, the younger generation, this is part of their mindset and part of their DNA. Absolutely. To give back. Yep. And I love that. They don't wait until they're later in their career and say, now I want to give <laughs> right. back. Right. So and it's not just monetary. I right. mean, that's the exactly. best part. It's, I love the way they think. Okay. So the only thing I'd like to say is for people who think, what can I do and what difference can I make and what I do isn't making a difference is 
that remember that if you do one thing, if you affect one life, just one, the ripple effect is unbelievable because that person affects another person, affects another person. So no matter what you do, you are never just affecting one person. And this is how I feel about kind of philanthropy and sure. people getting involved. And don't you think that could apply in your day job as well, though? Sure. If you just impact one person, if you, you know, in, in the community, if you just impact one person, what the impact could be? That's a really good point. That's really true. And, and you don't even actually know who you're impacting, but you know you are. And, you've, you know, I often find out about it years later. You know, you said something to me. You know, somebody will say, you said something to me. And, God, it's really... It's a wonderful thing. <laughs> well, I, I love that you've spent the time with us on this last two podcast episodes. Is there are, are there two or three key things, key takeaways you want to leave our audience with as we um, we say goodbye here in New York? This is important. One thing that I've learned uh, many times over, and actually I, I learned this mostly when I was at Gucci and Armani because we had we acquired ten brands, and so all around the world. And so one part of my job was to get all of the people who were being acquired and put them together, and people from Japan and Hong Kong and Italy and France and America, and figure out how we were going to make this thing happen. And one thing across all of the cultures that was true all the time and really resonates today, don't forget, it's not about the culture. People are people. People are people. They have the same wants, needs, desires. And just remembering that and working with people Absolutely. I think that links to the the communication, the engagement piece, and the relationship piece. Awesome. Well, Vicki, thanks so much for joining us on the ContenderCast. Your insights and key takeaways, bottom lines have been just invaluable. And I'm so thankful that you uh, took some time to join us. For more information on today's topic or to access additional leadership content, tools, and resources, check out contenderbrands.com. Also, you can download other ContenderCast episodes directly via the Apple iTunes App Store and Google Play Store. And remember, every winner started as a contender. Contender.